Welcome to the third episode of the Ideaspies Editor Series in partnership with a Spanner in the Works Disruption podcast. I'm Lynn Wood, the founder and chief idea spy of Ideaspies. Today we'll hear from our Ideaspies climate editor, Jeremy Wright AM. Jeremy sits on several boards and is a community leader, a climate action champion, a retired MS Research Foundation CEO a founder of New South Wales Red Nose Day, a leading Rotarian and a beekeeper. He'll talk about what's happening to address climate challenges. Hello, Jeremy. Hello, Lynn. And thank you for the opportunity to talk about climate and the environment in the context of Ideaspies, a website that promotes innovation and disruption across many categories. I could start by suggesting that the climate crisis we're in and the phenomenon of global warming needs innovation, and it does, but not the sort of innovation that first comes to mind, technological innovation, because that's largely with us already. And it can take us now to between 65 and 75% of the needed goal of net zero by 2035. By the way, note that date, 2035, not 2050. The innovations we really need urgently is in our, are in our financial governance and legal systems. And that's happening now already, but not nearly quick enough. We need major disruption in these systems urgently to be able to retain the planet as a viable ecosystem. By the way, I'm not a scientist or a climate change expert, but I have been an observer and a journalist on and off since the 1970s. That's when the Club of Rome first published. And from 2020, I've chaired a series of climate and peace webinars with many Australians and international experts presenting, and I'm happy to plagiarise their expertise and draw some conclusions. Back to the Club of Rome publication in 1972, and remember the title, Limits to Growth. That's when we started recognising what's now called planetary boundaries. This is thanks to an Australian Professor Will Stefan and a bevy of IPCC scientists. These boundaries were first thought to be population and food related. The threat then became the ozone layer in the 1990s, which by the way, our Bob Hawke helped broker a solution to. Now it is realized that it is to do with carbon overload, proliferation of plastics and the destruction of our biodiversity. So we're not just talking about global warming. We have three parallel existential planetary threats. These threats may limit the planet's medium-term capacity to maintain an adequate life support system for us. However, much more urgent concern is that these threats may cause tipping points that I'm sure you've heard about, points of no return, where we cannot recover regardless of our technology. And to remind us that it's urgent, witness just this week a 40-degree jump in temperatures in both the Arctic and the Antarctic, and by the way, another mass bleaching event in the Barrier Reef. The science, as well as Mother Earth, is already telling us that we must aim for 2035 for net zero emissions, which means we either orchestrate a revolution or we'll experience disasters that we don't recover from. Sounds dire, but funnily enough, I'm an optimist. And I'm an optimist partly because the technology solutions are already with us. 
but they're just not being used. We can replace fossil fuel energy now with demonstrably cheaper solar, wind, hydro, tidal, and battery technology for every phase of our lives. And that includes most of our transport and our industry worldwide, especially if we include soon to be cheaper green hydrogen and supported by new systems such as the circular economies that have been now being employed commercially. We can also address agricultural emissions with a range of new practices and food innovations and compost, composting. We know that halting deforestation in all its forms will help enormously. We already pay carbon credits for that, even in Australia. And we know how to revolutionise packaging and fabric use to address the plastics issue. We know these things. And we can evaluate and address the high priority biodiversity issues that have to be addressed to make the world sustainable. However, we are nowhere near the required utilisation of these innovations to call them solutions. And some of the touted solutions in this area are truly dodgy solutions. In particular, carbon capture and storage, dirty hydrogen and fraudulent carbon credits. These are three innovations that are being promoted to prolong fossil fuel use and are therefore self-defeating. It leads to several questions. What's stopping us employing all the good innovations and technology that could save the world? What are the barriers? And the next question, what innovations do we really need to disrupt these barriers to actually break through and have the revolution that's required? I believe there are two big barriers. The first is what I call the even more immediate priorities. Priorities that we have a propensity to try and win over. And by the way, there's definitely a masculine gender mindset in this. We want to win over things like COVID, like cancer, like war and the economy. Even the distractions of winning over climate disasters, fire and floods that our short-term orientation is actually causing. And you'll notice I mentioned this male gender construct. Well, there are some very recent studies that suggest sustainability is considered much more of a female construct and concept. And we are talking about recreating some harmony with note Mother Earth. And that might lead to one big solution, and that is having more women in powerful positions. And I'm sure you'll agree that'll be a big innovation. The second major barrier is vested interests. The sort of vested interest that encourages our Prime Minister, for instance, to state recently that we should be sweating our coal assets till the end of their natural life. In other words, saving that industry in particular in the face of the much greater threats to the common good and to our planetary future. Clearly, the fossil fuel industry industries worldwide have a tight grip and influence to stop change and, and, to, and they create these barriers. So should we challenge them? Let me, let me challenge all of us. Let me make a comparison with Mr. Putin and Russia, who, is, who are currently creating a mass migration out of the Ukraine, maybe 4 million people. So let's take a very low estimate of mass migrations caused by climate change, predicted in Bangladesh only, and it will be 10 times greater. In the rest of the world, mass migrations might be 50 to 100 times greater than what's happening in Ukraine. Is that obvious yet? 
Well, yes, it is. Already in the Ganges Delta, in Jakarta, in Bangkok, in Florida, in the Pacific and the Bahamas, the flooding is well and truly underway. And on top of that, we will generate widespread migration if food systems collapse. That's what we know the vested fossil fuel industry will continue to cause. So should we protest against them more than Mr. Putin? I'd like to say yes, but even at this stage, our protests will be ignored. So what social, financial and governance innovations can we use very quickly? What can we do to break? What can we do to bank on to break these barriers? How do we change the system in the meantime? I think there are a number of innovations we really need. For the short-term orientation of our world politics, we need innovations like taking climate action out of the political arena, like the UK's Committee on Climate Change, a statutory body that addresses the UK government, both sides of politics, on climate policy. We need innovations like the EU's concept of carbon tariffs, that is looking like a number of other countries around the world will adopt. And we need to develop a worldwide carbon pricing mechanism. You might call it a carbon tax, but it's a whole lot cheaper than the disaster aid that we have to pay later. And by seeing radical partnerships between unions and industry, most notably in Germany and Spain, transition partnerships, but it's happening elsewhere in the EU and OPEC, and even in India, to manage transition strategies for workers on a broad countrywide scale. That's the sort of innovation we need. And finally, let me come back to my other point, putting more women in powerful positions, more Angela Merkels, more Justin Adderns, Christiana Figueres, Helen Clark, Greta Thornburgs, and of course, Kamala Harris. These innovations would address the short-term mindedness of many of our larger, largely male world leaders. So how about challenging vested interests? Well, to, for, to reform the slave trade, the British government in the 19th century had to pay out many of the main slave traders. And that's just what Bloomberg and a couple of other rich people are trying to do now with the Asian, Asian Development Bank and European interests to cut out one power station at a time, aiming to eliminate a quarter of the coal-fired power plants by 2025. And in Australia, we saw Mike Cannon-Brooks and Brookfield trying to buy out AGL. That will continue for, for sure, but it's, gonna, it's going too slowly at this stage. That needs to ramp up. Another in, in innovation, stopping the flow of investment to fossil fuels. That's happening with Norway's sovereign investment fund. Also with Japan and South Korea's major funds. Even China has indicated it will stop funding coal-fired stations outside China. And China are talking about decommissioning many of their coal-fired power plants in advance of normal life cycles. Watch this space. And even Larry Fisk of BlackRock recently said, by the way, that's the world's largest private investment fund, he said, we have to decarbonize or die in his most recent client newsletter. So the funds are drying up for the vested interests. Then there are the increasing governance constraints over private industry. 
the most notably in the EU, in, in, in the EU with a range of carrots and sticks in place across many industries, including agriculture, to completely turn around and reduce their emissions. And in a significant announcement this week, the US Securities and Exchange Commission announced strict rules on climate requirements and reporting from private industry that will come into play in 2023. That's very significant. Meanwhile, in the world, in the world courts and in the world's company shareholder groups, there are rulings against fossil fuel companies. Most notably in June last year, when over a period of just seven working days, not only for ExxonMobil, but for Royal Dutch Shell and for Chevron, they were all hit with constraints on their future fossil fuel operations. Not enough, but the start of a movement. Nothing works better than major government policy shifts, but in the absence of that, in many developed and developing countries, where clearly the governments are captured by fossil fuel oligarchs, we will have to rely on rapidly developing these many other social, financial and governance innovations and mechanisms if we are going to survive. And let's hope we do have another Bob Hawke or two. Remember, he helped the world to stop the use of chlorofluorocarbons and save the ozone layer. And as I'm a betting man, if we do find several world leaders, real leaders, real saviors of this world, if it does happen, the group will probably include several very clever women. Thank you very much.